Wow. Hi guys, it's me. It's your friendly neighborhood music head, Mo. Um, I, I already butchered my regular intro line. Um, hey guys, this uh, welcome to the Rent Free Podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm your uh, your host, Mo. I don't really know whether to go by Mo the Music Head anymore. Uh, this pod is definitely making a big shift from just being kind of like 90% about music to really kind of like a like a 60-40 with music and really like anything else media. Like I'm really trying to go much more heavy film and TV. So I don't really know whether to go by Mo the Music Head anymore. I feel like that's kind of a limiting title considering this is much broader than that. But it rolls off the tongue. I mean, friendly neighborhood music head, like I'm just... It's the Spider-Man effect, but still. Anyway, um, hi guys. Name is Mo. Uh, this this is the pod. This I still don't have an intro. Um, this this show essentially has been a passion project of mine ever since the pandemic, and it's been difficult for me to really be consistent with it. But I feel like now I'm really in a place where I could kind of jump right back in, and I have a lot of stuff that I want to talk about. <laughs> I've I've been sitting on the sidelines. I feel like the uh, I feel like a starter who got injured in the playoffs in a basketball series and like he knows what he could provide, but you know, his nagging knee injury won't let him on the court, so he's just sitting there on the sidelines getting antsy, watching all the film, you know, like strategizing, seeing who else is out there like, "Oh man, if only we did X Y and Z." Like I feel like that. And here I am. I'm not even sure if I'm a starter in this scenario. I'm a smooth sixth man. I mean, like, I I get the job done. But, like, I feel like I've really been sitting around just waiting to get back into this. And I feel like I'm finally there where this is, you know, this is reasonable for me to try to jump back in. Have a new space. A uh, bunch of posters behind me, if you could see. I've got a... I don't know, I just tried to make a space for myself where I can kind of go in and boom, I'm creating, as opposed to, I was shooting this shit in my living room. Like, I had to move around all of the things in my place, accommodate for the camera and mic setup and everything, and because it's in a living room and I have the worst neighbors known to man, I, uh, I would have to time when I would be recording based on when they would be going crazy in their living rooms. Now I'm underneath a child's bedroom. So this is a July 4th on the morning time. I guess they just have plans because, hey, it's, it's kind of quiet right now. Fingers crossed. I might have jinxed myself, but this is just a much more reasonable space for me. I've got a lot of shit I want to talk about. I've been listening to a lot more music. I've been exposing myself to a lot more artists. I've been exposing myself to a lot more genres as well. We're you know, I've, I've been the hip-hop R&B guy, but hey, shout-outs to my friends who have really gotten me into a lot more metal and heavy rock and alternative music and, you know, shout-outs to me being an Iron Maiden fan now and, like, a Megadeth fan and, like, Queens of the Stone Age and, like, it's... I've been trying to really expose myself to different things. I've been watching a whole lot of movies. This past June, I watched, I think, seven different films. I think I watched seven or six, like, in theaters, not, like, at home or whatever. And so, like, I've just been out there watching shit. I've been thinking about shit. And here I am now. This is the pod. Thank you all for tuning in. I have a couple different things I want to talk about this episode. Uh, Just bear with me. I'm going to be taking you on a journey to the center of my brain. This is not a journey that involves Dwayne The Rock Johnson, despite him being in as many journey to the center of movies and jungle movies as possible. I got a lot of shit to talk about. So just 
bear with me here. I got a couple trains of thought. Uh, if, uh, if at some point you miss your stop and you're trying to figure out where I'm at, just wait for the next train to pull in. I got you, all right? So, without further ado, let's get this show on the road. So there was a Billboard article that came out a couple months ago. Um, it talked about the fact that we're now halfway through 2022. Or 2023. Good God, what, where am I? <laughs> we're halfway through 2023. And there's yet to be a number one hip-hop album. It's a really interesting uh position that we're in because this is the 50th year anniversary of hip-hop you've probably seen the hip-hop 50 thing everywhere on the internet right and it's just something that's really interesting to me because at this point last year there were about four to five different number one hip-hop albums and here we are at this same time this year and there's been really nothing uh last the past couple weeks actually there was a Gunna album and a Young Thug album that looked like they were potentially going to be that first number one, but then Morgan Wallen came through and just destroyed every possibility of such a thing because his album is that popular right now in the mainstream, right? And normally something like this wouldn't be that big of a deal, but this article kind of brought up some points that I would never really thought about. So like Miley Cyrus and Morgan Wallen, they're the biggest people in the, like, billboard charts this year so far like miley cyrus album came out i believe in like the beginning of the spring and then this morgan wallen album kind of has taken over the charts for a good chunk of the late spring early summer right now but um they talked about that they talked about how most of the big name hip-hop acts that dropped last year um they just like because they dropped last year this year it's been flat because they aren't here you know like kendrick lamar and drake and future and all these guys they don't do the, like, multi-year thing. Other than Drake, he's kind of an anomaly. It seems like there's going to be a new album from him on the horizon, but that's besides the point. You've just, last year especially, it was two years post the pandemic, so it was just a big flood of releases, you know? And now, it just really got me thinking. So, like, uh, part of the, one of the big reasons that they brought up was how, like, uh, uh, it's a really grim factor, actually, the fact that a lot of these big-name artists are either... Uh, have either been like incarcerated or have tragically passed away these past couple of years. And because of that, these artists would have gone on to become these big mainstream acts, but they're no longer here, you know? So like Pop Smoke and Juice World and Mac Miller, how they... Mac Miller's a bit of a different person in terms of like his main... Not mainstream success, his age in comparison to Pop Smoke and Juice World, but they were big, big, big artists who had a lot of mainstream appeal and just they're no longer here and because of that it's it seemed like uh the coast was clearing for especially juice world and pop smoke to really become these like very very big presences in the genre and to have them no longer here and now we're just living off of the insane amount of posthumous projects that have been released it's unfortunate but it's a big factor as to why things just haven't been charting the tops lately topping the charts lately anyway <laughs> so it's just a factor right and uh the incarceration piece is a really big one in terms of like most of like the new york drill scene is currently in prison which is a crazy concept but a lot of these guys are locked up i mean young thug and gunna and a lot of what's been going on in atlanta lately with these rico charges i mean it's a lot of different uh you know like the the hip-hop police is very much still real and you know it's just scary right now, but it, it, this is all besides the point. 
this article just covered a lot of different things, and it really just got me thinking about the weird state of hip-hop that we're in. I mean, especially the fact that we're fully into the summertime, and there is no song of the summer right now. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like the Rip Me Out the Plastic song by Lotto is probably the closest thing in a hip-hop perspective. But I don't really see anything that's like, I don't know, and maybe this is a dated take, but I feel like every summer always has that one thing that's just blowing everything out the water. And hey, maybe it just hasn't come out yet. We're still in the beginning of July, so I don't know. Maybe something comes out and it really runs the back half of the summer into the fall, but it's just looking a bit odd lately. So fast forward, I recently got around to watching the BET Awards, and this is... I swear to you, this is part of the thought process in my brain. Like, follow me around here, all right? So the BET Awards happened. I didn't watch it initially because who cares about award shows? But I was hearing enough good things about it, specifically on the tip of, hey, they're celebrating the 50th year, uh, anniversary of hip-hop. I was like, okay, let me just try to watch this after the fact. And so found a way to stream it. Side note, I feel like it really shouldn't be this difficult to try to re-watch a stream of something. Uh, specifically with award shows, I understand that these award shows, because they happen once a year, they're literally making their year's worth of money on this one specific event. So they want to make sure that everybody who does go see it, they're, uh, how do I put it? Like, they want to make it a moment so that you have to watch it live so they can maximize the amount of ad dollars that they're getting in the moment. And so I guess I understand the concept of, hey, let's make it harder for these people who don't watch it live to watch it again after the fact because, hey, you should have been here to see it in the moment. But do people really care about award shows enough to make this that big of a thing? I feel like they would get more like residual viewers after the fact if they just made it readily available on a streaming service like I thought most of these award shows were. At least maybe the MTV Awards are like that. Maybe the Grammys are also like that. But anyway, it shouldn't have... The awards aired last Sunday. There's no good reason why it. I had to wait until Thursday to catch a rerun of it officially on BET. You know? Anyway, it's just something that bothered me. But I watched the awards. They were cute. The Hip Hop 50 thing was nice. I loved the fact that they didn't... The Grammys did a Hip Hop 50 tribute or whatever, and... As much as I liked it, it was like 20, 25 minutes of the show. They really just tried to sum up the entire genre into this one moment. And though I did think that they did a really good job, it's just, it's a lot to really process all at once. And it was a a big spectacle. And I just felt like they could have, I don't know. It just felt like a lot. I think that's the best way I could really put it. And so... To have this new, uh, like, BT Awards take on it, I just found it really pleasantly surprising. The fact that they had, um, what, different eras and genre, or, like, uh, sub-genres of, not really sub-genres, but, like, just different regions of hip-hop all being, like, celebrated throughout the show rather than just one specific thing, so... Having a whole segment that was just West Coast hip hop and having the New York hip hop like portion of the show. I mean, the like Chicago scene as a whole and like breaking into what the drill sound is. And there was a big uh, like Miami, Atlanta, like they just had these different uh, maybe three to five minute performances all throughout the show to fill in the gaps and everything. 
And it was a really refreshing way to look at, hey, hip-hop isn't just this, like, one amalgamation of, hey, there was the 80s, the 90s, 2000s, and, like, where we are now, essentially. It was like, hey, there's so many different pockets of this one genre. So I found it really refreshing to see all these different uh, hip-hop legends. They brought out some of the current people. It was, it was cute. It was fun, right? But there was one big, big, big thing that I found just, I don't know, noteworthy. So, like... You have the opener of Lil Uzi Vert. I have a lot of reservations about him. I'm probably going to get to after the fact. But other than Lil Uzi coming out and performing, there were no male rap performances in the slightest. And there were no nominations of male artists until maybe two hours into the show. The entire BET Awards, other than all these legendary performances was run by female hip-hop. And, granted, fantastic. I absolutely love to see that from, you know, when I look at what Nicki Minaj was trying to do with the state of female hip-hop back in, like, 2010, and just the strides that had been made in the terms of when she came in, there was really no real mainstream hip-hop acts to the fact that she kind of inspired a this whole current generation of female hip-hop artists, like, I do find it amazing that the current state we're in, that there's enough that could really float an entire BT Awards. I mean, it was quite literally, I have the list here, Lado, Dochi, Coco Jones was an R&B act, but it was another female performer on the stage, Glorilla, Ice Spice, Koi Ray, Bia, Lola Brooke, Callie, all female rap, you know, stars, essentially. I mean, like, budding stars in a lot of them, but, like, Lotto, specifically Lotto, Glorilla, and Ice Spice are truly on the precipice of being in their full-blown stardom. I mean, what Lotto's been doing right now, especially considering what happened in the beginning of her... I I wouldn't say the beginning of her career. I would say the beginning of her, like, mainstream career, of the fact that she went by Mulatto and, like, the big name change there and, like, the social discussions that that started in the moment, that could have really hindered her career, but it kind of, like, propelled her in a sense because it made her much more of a uh, borderline household name. And to see where she's at now is amazing. I mean, what Glorilla has done in terms of being very unapologetically Memphis, still having that heavy accent and still just, like killing it essentially with everything that she's been doing from uh, her actual music to her features and everything ice spice is on another planet right now i mean the the fact that she got her start as really just all of her music being from her and her team from the i want to say like late 2021 portion of the pandemic i feel like i feel like that came out like late 2021 when munch was really starting to bubble Either way, the fact that she went from, hey, like, this is all in-house and it's popping on a very niche level in New York to the fact that she's on Taylor Swift songs, uh, Pink Panther songs, Nicki Minaj collab, she's on the Barbie soundtrack. It's amazing to see where the state of female hip-hop really is. But it did get me thinking here. Like, when I start to really look at, like, just mainstream hip-hop in general, is the future of female... Is the future of mainstream hip-hop really going to be run entirely by women? That's not a bad thing. 
at in the slightest, but it's just really something that I'm like starting to think is a very real possibility because, okay, the big mainstream male rap acts out right now are all people who have been here for the past decade minimum, loosely, but pretty much decade minimum, right? So, for example, I mean, Drake, been here since like, what, 2010 on a mainstream level, Kendrick, J. Cole, came out in the same era, they have ran the 2010s, Future has ran everything since like, really 2010 era, Tyler the Creator has been a full mainstream act since about 2015, I want to say, in terms of being like a true like hit maker in a sense, and really defining what the state of hip hop really is right now. Travis Scott goes without saying, uh, 21 Savage in a lot of ways has really kind of propelled himself into a similar stratosphere in terms of like the impact that he has on the genre right now. I mean, the big theme with a lot of those artists that I just named, they're all A, in their 30s, but B, they've been here and been doing it for a long, long time. None of those people, 21 Savage somewhat, but these are all like very like i don't know storied veterans of the genre right now when you look at it on the flip side it's entirely different because you have your Nicki Minaj she's been doing it forever she's still one of the biggest artists in the like planet right now she's been doing this since what 07 08 when she was starting to loosely bubble and then becoming the absolute megastar that she became throughout all of the 2010s and like so on Cardi B eventually got like very popular in about 2015. Since then, all these people who are truly the biggest names in the genre from who who did I mention? Lotto, Glorilla, and Ice Spice, um, Megan the Stallion, who goes without saying in terms of how much of an absolute megastar that she's becoming. Um, I mean, Megan the Stallion and Doja Cat. Those are the two big ones. Like Doja Cat is in another stratosphere on her own of like. She's a pop star, but also a what's slowly going to turn into a big rap megastar in terms of how she's really abandoning the pop genre, it seems like. But she can also really sing and has kind of R&B-leaning elements to her music. Like, all of these people that I just named, they've been around for less than five years. And if not, are still in their, like, early 20s, mid-20s. It's really... It just really gets me thinking, like, who's the next big mainstream male rap act? And I don't really see one at the moment. I'm not sure if that future, like, I don't want to, I hate the logic that, like, oh, you have Drake and Jake Cole and you have Kendrick. And at some point, there's going to need to be a new guard that replaces the big three. I don't think that music works like that. I don't think that there's just generations of people who are slowly going to be, like, taking the reins there. It seemed like... Especially with what, like, Corday went through, formerly YBN Corday, now Corday. It seemed like the push that he was getting in the beginning of his career was like, oh, he's going to be the new person that's going to take the place of this big three, like, you know, King Ghidorah of masters in the genre. And of course, he was never able to live up to that. It's unfortunate, I think, that him being this young guy who makes cool music, it's... I don't know, like conscious hip hop elements uh, can do some decent features and whatnot. It is unfortunate that he was kind of thrust into this position that 
it was entirely unre- unrealistic to ever expect him to live up to those level of expectations. But it's just another one of those people who, hey, it seemed like he was going to get the mainstream push and he's obviously not getting it. It seemed like somebody like Baby was going to be one of the next big, big mainstream people. Clearly that didn't work out because even though he's very much still thriving on a like streaming monetary level, I don't think that the masses will ever truly embrace him and his music the way that we would have prior to him going on the absolute like madman tirade that was 2021 and 2022. Goes without saying, you could listen to my previous episodes where I really kind of dig deeper into that whole aspect. Anyway, it's just odd. I mean... It seemed like Roddy Rich was another one of those people. Hey, is he going to be the next person to really take the reins? He sounds a lot like a hybrid of like a... Honestly, I want to say that early Roddy Rich sounded like future Young Thug and Post Malone in this like one young person. And I say that with the utmost respect in terms of the future and Young Thug elements. He sounded very like Atlanta hip-hop influence, but also he had that mainstream pop... uh, a potential, I want to say, that Post Malone definitely had and continues to thrive upon. It's unfortunate where he's at now because that Please Excuse Me, I'm Antisocial album was really a mainstream hit. Like, the that record, The Box specifically, I mean, he had the whole world in the palm of his hands in a sense, but he's very young. and I believe that during that time, he was like 20. You know, it's impossible to really, like expect him to take those crazy reins and unfortunately the next project that he put out wasn't good and then the uh the momentum that he had as an artist was never really regained because ever since then i think he put out another project and he's had a couple decent records but they're not necessarily like pushing the needle in any way which sucks i think that he as an artist is really good but it's another one of those people i mean little baby is another one i i love little baby i love everything that uh I love seeing the progression of his career since the beginning. And he actually has a really good documentary on Amazon. I don't know if I've mentioned that in the past on this podcast, but definitely go check that out. The uh, I believe it's called Untrapped. It's on Amazon Prime. I think it. I think they filmed it really like throughout the pandemic, if anything. But it's honestly a really good uh, piece of just content in general, just really getting to the nitty gritty of, hey, this is the type of lifestyle that Lil Baby was living. This is how everybody regarded him. And this is how difficult it was trying to pull him out of the... Basically just street shit. Like, he... Even though he had so much potential as a rapper, he did not want to fully embrace the idea that he could really thrive in this genre that... Or thrive in this medium that he wasn't familiar with, you know? So it, it's just really interesting to see the progression that he's had, the very obvious mainstream success that he had. I mean... Everything following that track, The Bigger Picture, um, I believe that song came out maybe a couple months following his album, My Turn. But The Bigger Picture really put him on a map much bigger than anybody could have ever imagined in terms of 2020, the June-July experience of the uh, very prevalent and publicized social injustices going on, the fact that he put out this song that wasn't in his pocket in the slightest but he really was he just found a way to make it his own in terms of having the conscious bars but still keeping his flow that was true to him i mean everything about that song i feel like uh it could probably go in the hip-hop museum in terms of like 
songs that kind of defined a, defined a moment, essentially. So I bring all this up to say, like, he really, he had that momentum. And it seems like he still could regain that momentum. But it took so long for this latest album to come out. It finally did at some point, like, late last year. It didn't hit. It had no hits. It sounds like a lot of just the same thing that he's been peddling for the past couple of years in terms of no real development or uh, development or innovation or anything like that. And so it's just another one of those people who, hey, it looked like the whole world was just leading right up to him. And hey, like he's not taking the reins, you know, and like, granted, there are plenty of other male artists that I could think of, like potentially Lil Durk has that potential of being that next mainstream person. I definitely am not going to shoot him down in that regard. Uh, the the Drake feature that he had with that song Laugh Now Cry Later, that definitely, he already had really great music, but that kind of propelled him into a, a much more mainstream light. He's had a couple projects since then. I like one of them. Um, not to say the other one is bad. I just haven't really listened to it too much, but he, he has that shot of taking that next step. Unfortunately, he's still very involved with just kind of street, like, beef culture, which I think is definitely going to hinder his ability to really take that mainstream, like, edge. But it's just really hard to make that mainstream push. Like, I keep saying mainstream. It's the best way that I could define it is truly uh, you have... You have... The genre that you're in, so like I'll, the best example is hip hop, like you have the music that you make that uh, you're able to build a very, a very real, tangible fan base that you could see like true monetary success from, of course. You're putting out music that, for all intents and purposes, doesn't really sound like anybody else in the genre, but also it's radio friendly I want to say is kind of one of the first elements but like it's just the ability to be marketable the ability to be played on a like I don't want to say like a Z100 or something like a like a super duper pop uh thing but just something that the people who are big hip-hop fans and the random suburban parents who happen to throw on the radio and hear a song that they wouldn't necessarily have wanted to hear prior would actually enjoy it's a very difficult like line to draw i mean it's the ability to be marketed the ability to uh you know like your social media presence your uh the way that you speak the way that you're able to maximize the moments and opportunities that you're given i mean it's a very hard line to draw it like it's something that the babies seem to like have a lot of potential in uh, I guess embracing of hey he was making very much like trap music I mean it had a certain bounce to it that was a bit different than most but he was making music that it was slowly becoming like heavily pop leaning like the fact that he had that song with uh, Roddy Rich Rockstar and everything like that's a very mainstream pop hip hop record you know but unfortunately, everything that surrounded him as a person derailed that potential, you know. And also, him and musically, he wasn't uh, he wasn't progressing in the slightest. He wasn't uh, innovating his sound in the slightest. It became very redundant. So it was kind of a, an amalgamation of things that led to his demise there. But 
it's just really difficult to really make that mainstream push and it's something that the ladies in hip-hop are i mean blowing the men out of the water in i went on and said everything about like lotto and uh obviously cardi b but like megan the stallion and glorilla and ice spice and everybody like their mainstream glorilla is kind of glorilla and lotto are on the precipice of it but yeah they're for all intents and purposes like very mainstream in terms of that like when i look at what hip-hop is gonna be seven or eight years from now i'm thinking of them and their potential impact on what's going on in the future including ice spice i know that she's very novel in her uh I guess like presence and like music in the game, but I feel like she has so, so much potential and especially just her character of very much knowing who she is and not letting the fame impact just how she operates. I feel like that could put her in a different stratosphere of like her potential and where she's going to end up being. But I say all this to say, it's looking really difficult for the men out here. (laughs) I truly don't know who the future is going to be. I mean, I jotted down some like, is Polo G going to take that next step? Is Trippy Red? Is Gunna? Like, these people who make very good rap music, who, you know, they have the production, they have the ear, they have, uh, I, I mean, like, very dedicated bases. I mean, I would throw, like, uh, NBA Youngboy on here, like, Youngboy Never Broke Again, but unfortunately, he's, there's a lot going on with him. I don't know. It seems like, Every single time he tries to step away from like the the street lifestyle, it keeps pulling him back in. And I don't know. He he has the potential, but I don't really think he's ever going to make that true mainstream push, even though he has a very mainstream level audience. The fact that he continuously puts out music and it continuously is like the biggest thing on things like YouTube and shit. I just don't know who the next guy is. I I entertain the idea that, hey, maybe he just hasn't come out yet, or like he just hasn't had that push yet. Like maybe if I look at the current landscape of who are the big and up and coming artists, maybe the future of this genre from a male perspective just isn't here yet. But it is, it's worrisome. I'd be lying if I said it wasn't worrisome, but um, we'll see where it lands us. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Also, another side note, I did want to mention the the BET Awards. They had Coco Jones who performed R&B. She's very much uh, been like getting very popular as of late. So I totally understand why she was there. She did a great job even. But I definitely, I know that the award show was centered around hip-hop. But there's a lot of women in R&B who aren't SZA and aren't Summer Walker who... I truly feel like deserve that like award show level like mainstream attempted push but just aren't really getting it. Uh, a couple of the names that I've jotted down in that concept. Jazzy, if you're unfamiliar with her, she's she's making some incredible incredible music. I believe she's in uh, P Diddy's camp. I believe she's signed to P Diddy. I could be wrong, but Everything that Jazzy's doing, everything Victoria Monet, Justine Skye, Chloe Bailey, uh, Kiana Lede, these people who are making some very impactful R&B, specifically from a, a woman perspective, I don't really think that anybody in a the male R&B world outside of like the already big successes of guys like Anderson Pack and them are really going to have that like I don't know next step 
mainstream push. I, f- I feel like guys like Bryson Tiller and Black and uh, Party Next Door and all them are very much here and thriving and whatnot. I just think that there's a lot of R&B acts who really deserve that, uh, just that next step that like, hey, let's give you a three minute slot on the little Nissan performance thing at the BET Awards. Hey, let's give you, you know, a shot at the Best New Artist Award in this capacity of different award shows, you know. I just think that they're like popular enough that they could take that next step. But um, hey, Coco Jones is lovely. Like absolute kudos to her. I just think that we can we can get some more in there. It shouldn't just be her, you know. Anyway, just something I thought about. But uh, anyway. Okay, so that's all I really had on just everything surrounding uh, mainstream hip-hop right now. There's a lot of different albums I've listened to lately and a lot of different uh, topics I do want to get to on that front. But that'll be for a later pod. Genuinely, I have a lot of things jotted down that I will be getting to. This isn't just a, like, a miscellaneous statement. But other than that, I have something that I really wanted to spend the rest of this episode talking about. Um... I mentioned that, hey, this is absolutely going to be a TV and film-themed show going forward in terms of, like, the other aspect of where my brain is. I feel like my brain, you know the concept of, like, not concept, it's science. Like, you have left brain and right brain, and, like, your left side of your brain controls different things, your right side of the brain controls the other. My brain truly operates from left brain music, right brain TV and film. That's just how it goes. Everything else, like... On like intelligence and like you know intangibles and all these other like important science things they're scattered in there but from a general framework oh absolutely the ears music the eyes and everything else tv and film anyway this other thing that i want to talk about it's kind of dense i'm going to be honest i have a lot of different things jotted down here and written down so i'm going to try to just slowly go through it i definitely sat here and prepared so Bear with me here. (laughs) I want to talk about the writer's strike. I want to talk about the... It's not just the writer's strike. It's it's the the writer's strike, the almost director's strike. It's the Screen Actors Guild strike. This is so, so important. But I feel like everywhere I look online, nobody is giving it the proper explanation and coverage that is really digestible for an audience i feel like in terms of everything that i've sat here and prepared of what i'm about to say it took me reading like 15 different articles and i'm not exaggerating that number i feel like everything it's hard to understand what the demands are for these different companies for these different uh unions for what the impact of these strikes and everything truly means from a monetary standpoint and just us as a consumer standpoint. It's a lot here. And so I really feel like I sat down and like uh, gathered the proper amount of info here. So bear with me here. I'm going to talk about the writer's strike and just everything that can be impacted from how significant this is. So without further ado, so there are three major unions in Hollywood. You have the writers, the directors, the actors. They're all separate unions. They kind of work in tangential with each other, in conjunction with each other, pardon me. About two months ago, it was major news that the writers were going on strike. Most of the media just focused on, hey, the writer's compensation is the big issue here. Um, The other big thing was like, hey, now because of this strike, there is no future writing going forward in terms of like, most of the writers in Hollywood are in the WGA. And because of this, when like 
98% of all the writers go on strike and they're no longer writing anything, there is no future content. So you probably saw a bunch of headlines like, hey guys, so like the new Stranger Things series, like the new Stranger Things season specifically that's supposed to be coming out next year or the year following or whatever. Yeah, totally postponed indefinitely. Like the Abbott Elementary, absolutely love that show. Also love Stranger Things, but that's an aside. Abbott Elementary, everybody loves it. The, you know, the sitcom that is taking this very, very mainstream and like unique approach on just teaching and everything. Yeah, that's no longer going to be in production going forward until this writer strike is over because that show lives and dies on the writing and it's a 20 plus episode per season network show. So it's something that is entirely based on the production that goes on in the spring and summer. So we're not getting that anytime soon. A lot of things are like at a complete halt right now. The uh, award shows, they don't have hosts. That was one of the big things for the BET Awards, how the flow of it felt very odd, and the presenters spoke a lot longer than when uh, during regular award shows because there is no host. There is no person to like steer the ship, essentially, and break some silence and whatnot. But anyway... Award shows don't have writers. The uh, the late night shows don't have writers, so there are no late night shows right now. Um, the movies, like every single movie that's coming out right now, is obviously pre-recorded. Like they've already been set and made and whatnot. But going forward, there are no scripts being made for movies. So there's going to come a point where there are no more movies that are sitting in back catalogs from these companies. So. There's just a lot of different impact here. And so this issue just gets much deeper than is being led on. So I did a lot of research here, and the big thing that I'm understanding is that the writers are demanding a structural change to the business model that pays them. So the business model currently, as I understand it, goes as follows. Writers earn a fee for their contribution in a writer's room for a movie or a TV show. So you have a room of writers you know, the, the creator and whatnot have an idea. These writers essentially synthesize the concept. They uh, add so many different elements to it. They add the, the humor, the drama. The, they, they write. They create everything, you know? They get a fee for that. They get a fee for just being in the room contributing to the show. Um, specifically for TV shows going forward, um, a lot of the times you have writers who continuously are a part of the show's creation process so and movie process as well but they get paid like weekly essentially for just being there and being able to okay we wanted to do this scene but you know i don't know we wanted to shoot at this coffee shop as they were entering this coffee shop but unfortunately it's like a thunderstorm right now so we can't shoot here we have to shoot somewhere else and how does this impact the scene hey writers can you just try to rewrite this in terms of like uh adapting what we have to do now with the vision of the show like that's how writers work and so you have the contributions that they get from the writers room uh they also get the residual income from their work based on the performance of the production so that's the way that uh streaming is essentially supposed to work of okay stranger things uh in the beginning of the show they the writers were uh paid a certain amount of money and based on the success of stranger things like the first season they would then be paid residual income just you know if it does good you get paid more money essentially and for example like malia obama right 
Malia Obama was the writer for an episode on Swarm, the Amazon show. So she earned money for her work on that specific episode. And then based on how many viewers that the show pulled in going forward, she earned some residual money from that. That's the way that the model is supposed to work. Okay. The problem is they ain't making no money in this. <laughs> from a, In every facet, writers are just being shortchanged in basically all capacities. So... The issue with the model is that basically streaming platforms have exploded in their success and the overall pot of the money has been drastically increased, but writers have been somehow been paid less than in the past. So specifically because of the pandemic, things like uh, Netflix and Hulu and Showtime and Stars and all these different things have had this increase in subscribers and everything. But Literally, writers have been paid minimum wages for what's legally possible for them in terms of the uh, collective bargaining agreement that writers and uh, movie studios have. But just as a whole, they've just been shortchanged. So Hollywood has... This is, the, this is one of the big things. This is kind of hard to understand, but truly try to follow me here. Hollywood has separated writing from production. So remember what I was saying about how you have writers who will be on a show and like the whole example I had of like, oh, we're supposed to shoot in this coffee shop, but now we're not in this coffee shop anymore. We have to shoot somewhere else. Hey, writers, can you rewrite this and try to adapt this to whatnot? Hollywood has just removed the concept of there being writers in this process. So what they've done is essentially they have a writer's room that'll script out the whole series. And then when the show starts filming, the writers are just gone. Prior to, those writers would stick around for the production and help in any way, in any way, shape, or form. They even provide feedback into like making sure that certain, uh, the way that certain things are shot and the way that certain actors say things, that like they emphasize certain things to get the overall, uh, just the overall like theme and uh, vision across. They've just been removed entirely. So Hollywood now just pays the writers for the script and then they're gone. So instead of having the writers rewrite things, the actors, the directors, the, sh the showrunners, these people just have to wing it. There is no consistency in this regard. There is no continuity expert here who's trying to make sure that certain things are getting across properly. It's, it's scary. <laughs> it honestly is. Um, while the studios are definitely saving money because, hey, we don't have to pay these writers on a weekly basis for the entire progression of a 20-episode show, fantastic. But the results just aren't as good. You know, it's you're putting so much more burden on the actors, the showrunners who have to just wing it and figure out how to properly have something come across, you know. That's one of the big things that Hollywood is like, uh, not Hollywood. The Writers Guild is just mad at Hollywood for and trying to have appeased in their demands going forward for this writer strike. So the big demand, how did I have it seen here? They're requiring companies to staff TV shows with a certain number of writers for a specific period of time, whether needed or not. So it entirely just eliminates the idea of, hey, you just want to get rid of us after we write the script and then you can just tarnish it however you want. No, 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 no. You're going to have writers here, then you're going to pay us a livable wage going forward so that we can come in and fix things when you realize that you've just messed this up. That's the whole concept here, at least the way that I understand it. And so 
it just creates the financial security for the writers and the shows just get better productions, right? One of the other issues is shows are just getting less episodes. So you're getting uh, when shows would have, say, like 20 or 24 episodes. Now a lot of shows are having 8 to 10 episodes. That overall is leaving just less income for the writers because if they're getting paid per episode and you're not just having less episodes, it's not like, unfortunately, hey, we've spent so much time on these eight specific episodes to make them as perfect as possible. Surely our rates would be increased for how significant these episodes are. No, 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 no. (laughs) Every single time a show is limited in that regard, like it happens a lot when it comes to... um, You'll have a, a network show that will have maybe like 16 episodes a season and then the final season gets shortened. Like, that's just a hit for everybody involved in the production of said show, unfortunately. So that's one of the major things that they're vying for. And um, the other major issue is just streaming residuals. So I mentioned how you have the money that you get from actually writing on the show. And then the residual money will be coming in from based on how good something streams. So anyone involved in the production of a show, this is how like basically syndication works. So like anybody involved in the production of a show will make money from the show getting syndicated. Syndicated is when a company basically buys the rights to a show and they can then do whatever they want with it. Most of the, most of the time they air the show on their network. They understand that, hey, uh, a show like, uh, I don't know, Big Bang Theory. They understand that Big Bang Theory is so popular and can work in whatever era they want to throw it in that, hey, if we just pay this company a certain amount of money, we can then take these episodes, air it on uh, our like sub-network. So like, uh, like they'll air it on like TBS or like USA or something. They know that they will make so much residual, uh, not residual, but they'll make so much money after the fact from airing this show that it'll be profitable for them. And in the process... They have to pay a certain amount of money to the writers and the production staff and everything. That's how something like Friends and Seinfeld and Big Bang Theory and all these different shows, that's how these people have been making millions of dollars after the show because the residuals are so freaking significant that, hey, they don't have to live off it anymore. The way that it previously worked, to my knowledge, is that after a show reaches 100 episodes, if then uh, it can then be syndicated, so then a company can then buy the rights and then going forward make a bunch of money. Like something like Modern Family, I think it was like 23 or so episodes per season. So after like season four or five, boom, you now have the syndication. And now everybody in the process now has money. Like they did, they essentially have generational wealth going forward, you know? That's how streaming, that's how the streaming residuals model was supposed to be like created upon like the idea that okay people aren't watching tv anymore and now they have like they now have it readily accessible to them to watch any of these shows that they want binge an entire series surely the writers and everybody should be compensated properly because of it but naturally hollywood doesn't want to do that so Because of this, it's just created this big issue of, hey, we want proper compensation going forward for something like, uh, well, of of course, of course, in the moment, I'm blanking on every single thing, like 13 reasons why, like, we would want a show like this to properly compensate us for this being a direct to streaming uh, product 
And because we know it's getting all these millions of views and whatnot, we should be paid a proper amount. And of course, Hollywood isn't doing that. So that's one of the big demands here. They just want to restructure how that model is supposed to work. The other thing, as I understand it, is artificial intelligence. Uh, ev uh, artificial intelligence as a whole is just like taken over everything in terms of uh, like people are worried about how this thing is supposed to operate going forward. It's the topic of conversation. It's almost like pop culture -y even, just the concept of, hey, we now have robots who can do all of our jobs and take over the world, right? Of course, it's scary, but on a on a like writer's level it's horrifying because it truly means the total automation of an entire medium or like creative process which is writing so some of you may know this but the concept of how like something like a chat gpt works or something like that you have this artificial intelligence in the form of like a website or a browser or something like that you can you can basically tell this artificial intelligence, hey, I want you to read every single script from every single movie that has ever been made. And then take that info, synthesize it, and create a new movie for us that is in whatever genre. So like, hey, ChatGPT, I want you to make an Indiana Jones 6 right now i want you to watch all the indiana, in all the indiana jones movies and all of the major uh all of the action films that have sold more than a hundred million dollars at the box office over the past four decades and i want you to make a new indiana jones based off that concept and chat gpt or something like that will create such a thing in maybe 10 minutes less they will then give you a script that isn't the greatest, but all you got to do is have one or two people proofread certain things and add some continuity in that regard. And boom, you now have an entire film. You've eliminated the concept of having all these different writers. Is the quality the greatest? Probably not. But unfortunately, all it's going to need is just a little bit of fine tuning and boom, you've now eliminated what, like a fourth of your expenses for the creation of something like a movie or a TV show, and that is writers. So, obviously, writers don't want this. <laughs> they don't want the concept that their jobs will have the utmost insecurity going forward, obviously. So, one of the big things that they're arguing or uh, demanding in this current writer strike is, hey, Hollywood make it a rule that you will not allow anybody to use artificial intelligence created material in any capacity going forward on a writing level. In my eyes, all of these things that I said are reasonable demands. Hey, don't have computers take our jobs. Give us proper residual money for when our shows make a ton of money and you pretend like there is no extra money to be given and just pay us more going forward in terms of like how we're compensated these are all just things that make sense to me so hope all of that makes sense but it actually does get much deeper than this so all of these demands have been on the table and the amptp which is known as the alliance of major film studios or basically the, the alliance of major film studios i forget what the actual acronym stands for now that i realize it it's not in my notes but anyway this organization as a whole that's representing all these major film studios hasn't budged in the slightest. 
Now, the Directors Guild of America also had their contract come to an end, and now they've had to renegotiate their terms. They got a successful renegotiation, and there was some hope that the things that they agreed upon would serve as the framework for a new writer's contract, in a sense. So they had streaming residuals get increased. They had rules against the use of artificial intelligence. They had other different things that they agreed upon, but these were things that the writers have been advocating for, and you know, we don't know the business side of what the writers have been offered from these studios as a new contract that they can get upon based on, uh, we don't know what they've been offered and how that relates to this new director's uh, Guild of America contract. So we don't know yet in turn, or we don't know to what extent uh, they're using that as a framework or if they're still being like penny pinched and whatnot. Like we truly have no idea, but the Directors Guild, they had that going on. And then one of the big things that is truly just shaking up what's going to happen going forward is the Screen Actors Guild is looking like they're about to go on strike. Like, con- at the same time as the writers. So there will be no more actors or writers in Hollywood until these contract demands are agreed upon. That literally means... There will be no TV or movies that are new going forward until they are paid properly. This is, like, I don't think people quite understand the magnitude of what this could lead to. Like, the actors are literally fighting against AI because there's part of what the, part of what all these artificial intelligence things can do. It's able to make scripts, which will eliminate writers, and then it can also synthesize every single acting performance of certain actors, take the voices of these actors, and recreate this voice to do and say whatever a company would want. So they record a movie, and they didn't like the way that like a few of these lines came out from this actor, so they will then recreate this actor's voice, replace his audio in this movie, and not need the permission of the actor to do this, nor compensate him for these new lines because they created it. So, A, you can obviously see how a lot of that is wrong, but B, <laughs> there's the issue of AI that the, act- that the actors are demanding. You have streaming residuals naturally they're not being compensated enough in the same way that writers aren't and then there's this issue of self-taping i won't go too much into detail about it but basically like actors will be given very short notice to make these really long reels of them acting every single part in a scene and like they'll be given like 10 plus pages of a script that they then have to act and like use you know they have to find people who will film them in different angles and edit these processes and send all these different things to a film studio in order to give them the chance to land a part that statistically they're probably not getting in which case they're like wasting a lot of time and effort in the process so the big thing that they're like vying for from a self-taping standpoint is just hey 
we will keep this whole process of like, hey, you don't want to have us come in for an audition. Instead, let's just have you do all the work and send this to you. We'll do it. Sure, it's kind of convenient for us too as actors, but let's limit the amount of freaking pages that you want us to write upon or uh, act upon because giving us 10 plus is ridiculous. They want to lower that limit to five pages. And if you've ever, if you've ever read a script, five pages is already a decent amount, but much more reasonable in that regard. So is this all pretty complicated? I'm assuming so. I'm hoping that this was followable with my thought process, but the idea that both of these companies or both of these unions could be going on strike together, the implications are just insane. I don't think y'all really understand. Like, there will be no future productions. So, because we've already had certain scripts that have already been written, there have been things that are still currently filming. So, the fact that they've uh, made it this business model that writers are eliminated from the production process. They've just been continuing to make movies. They've been continuing to do things. Well, now that now with the potential of actors no longer being in the process, everything gets shut down. Everything that has hundreds of million dollars worth of money in it already to be continuously like like currently created to have future content to make up for the fact that there is this very real writer strike right now. All of those things are just going to be loss leaders now or just like loss of revenue for all these studios because everything's going to be shut down. Every project in post-production that needs to be reshot, everything that needs like automatic dialogue replacement, if you understand what ADR is, that's not happening. The, the writer strike has already caused crazy ripples of the fact that like the entire TV film industry is at most of a standstill, but something like the Emmys, which is supposed to come this September... There will be no Emmys because if the writers and the actors are on strike, they're not showing up to an award show. Like they would then have to push the Emmys back to potentially January with hopes that a strike will be over by January. Like this is getting scared. The, the San Diego Comic-Con, you know, the big two, the two big Comic-Cons every year are San Diego and New York. The San Diego Comic-Con is supposed to be this July. Probably not going to happen. If it does, there will be no writers and there will be no actors. So what really is the point of going to Comic-Con? Like, it's just a lot. This has a lot of economic impact, like, implications. I mean, I don't know. It's it's definitely scary. This summer, we're still going to thrive with movies and TV shows that have come out. But there will come a point where there is no more back catalog. So this can get very scary and every single one of your favorite shows is in TVs and uh, favorite shows and favorite movie series is, will just continue to be backed up and backed up and backed up. We've already seen what's happened with Marvel. They've already pushed back every single major production is part of that because of what happened with Jonathan Majors and the fact that they have to potentially rewrite a lot of different things depending on if they go forward with him, probably. But things like the... Avengers Secret Wars and all these different like new Avengers and like Captain America movies and all that they were all supposed to start coming out in like 2024 2025 2026 now they're being pushed back to 2027 2028 2029 there's just a lot there's a lot going on here man there's a lot going on here so we'll see what happens obviously I am on the side of the writers and the directors or I guess the directors too but like I'm on the side of the creatives here as a like 
somewhat aspiring script writer myself, I would absolutely feel awful the idea that if I would ever try to enter such a world that there are no livable wages for somebody who has aspirations like me, you know? So I'm 100% on the side of the writers here. Uh, I, I don't think I'm near a picket line, so I won't be picketing with them, but Hey, rooting for them. And, you know, we'll see where all of this ends because this, this can get hairy y'all. <laughs> I think the date at the moment is June, June, July 7th as the new uh, strike date in terms of if there is no new deal that is reached, there will be a strike. We'll see what happens going forward from there. <laughs> but that that is kind of all I have. I say all I have like I didn't just talk for... How long did I talk for? Let me see. I know it's something ridiculous. I can't even see it from here. Anyway, I've been here for a while. Um, this I think that's all I got. Thank y'all for uh, thank y'all for checking this episode out. I'm still really trying to I'm trying to find the best format for this show. I feel like I'm an overthinker who really tries to plan things too much, and because of that, I end up uh, I end up psyching myself out from creating things. And I feel like me going in with this very frayed uh, episode structure kind of helped in my regard for creativity, but you know. Give me some feedback if you don't if you feel like it. Um, I have several different things I want to get to going forward. There's everything about the Jonathan Major situation I'd want to talk about in detail because there's a lot of interesting things that have come out in terms of the potential facts about that case. Um, there's a lot of different movies that have come out and are continuing to come out that I'm very excited to talk about. We'll see what happens with Barbie and Oppenheimer. It seems like Barbie is about to blow Oppenheimer out the water, which is very unfortunate, but kudos to both of them. I love anything that Christopher Nolan does. Um, I don't know. There's uh, plenty of music that has come out this year that I feel like is exciting enough to talk about, but this isn't the moment for album reviews. Um, Going forward, there's just going to be a lot for me to talk about, so stay tuned. I'm truly trying to make this a consistent thing for me in my life going forward in terms of making this podcast i have a lot of fun doing it i know i'm not the funniest person so like if you're somebody who's just look like sitting around looking for a funny pod to just like meander their way off for i'm sorry like one of my favorite things is like wait until they realize that i'm not funny like <laughs> i'm a i'm a real life situational funny i'm not a sit around and like like i'm not a stand-up you know i don't sit around like plotting around jokes like i just really be sitting in this room talking so hey if you found any of this interesting and entertaining kudos to you thank you for tuning in um please follow me on social medias uh, mind of mo on everything you can check it the episode description probably has a bunch of it check out my photography page on instagram it is stills by mo underscore uh, i do i pretty much post a new photo every single day on there i'm going to try to see how much consistency consistency i can keep on that going forward we'll see what happens but um yeah check out my photo work there fingers crossed we're going to try to be doing some movie reviews that go up on my youtube pretty soon i've there's a lot of different movies that i feel like me writing my little letterbox reviews about just don't do them justice i.e everything about the latest film past lives the a24 film um, the Elemental film from Pixar, I have a lot of opinions on. And um, yeah, just just stay tuned. Got a lot of stuff planned. We'll see what happens. But thank y'all for checking this out. Uh, I love y'all. And 
I'll, I'll see you guys soon. I also have no way to close out an episode, nor do I have a way to open them. So, deuces, y'all. <laughs> Catch you on the flip side. Peace.